Sorry, I feel like I'm getting dressed in front of all of you. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, it's funny how the simplest things, when you realize somebody's watching you, you know, it's no problem tying your shoes until somebody's looking at you, forming opinions about it, you know. Not that I have issues about that. Okay, I do. I have issues. David and I were talking back there. It's like, no, I don't have any problem with you knowing the issues. I just don't have time to list them for you. So, um, uh Several years ago, Joy and I were living in Austin, Texas. Oh, by the way, if it sounds like my voice is kind of shot, does it sound like that? Yeah. 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 Rich commented on that earlier. He said, man, your voice is terrible. <laughs> well, you were thinking it. <laughs> anyway, no, the story gets even better. It's that it's because uh, I play in a band that plays in bars. And so Friday night... I was doing that. Last night, I was doing that. So my voice is, you're the pastor who's teaching today the Word of God, my voice might sound a little weird just because I was in bars all weekend. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I don't remember seeing any of you, but, you know, sooner or later, I'm sure we will. We'll just act like we don't know each other. You know. Anyway, so when uh, we were living in Austin, there was a street festival and, and, you know, they have different, some local acts, some regional acts, and, and they always had this kind of level of national acts who used to be really big and aren't anymore. Uh, you could classify them under the where are they now pile, one hit wonders. Well, one of them was Tommy Two-Tone. Does anybody remember who Tommy Two-Tone is? Eight, six, seven. Everybody knows it, right? The, the song, 8675309. It's actually technically called 8675309 Jenny. A lot of people call it Jenny Jenny or whatever. Anyway, so Tommy Two Tone is on this little portable stage with just two guys backing him up, and he's drunk, clearly. And so he's trying to play, and he's talking about this new album coming out. Everybody in the audience is like, we don't care. Play Jenny, you know, they keep yelling it. A couple songs go by, people are trying to be nice, and then afterward it's like, Jenny, Jenny, and he is not happy about this because he's played that song a million times. It's the only one he's known for. He's got issues about that, I'm sure, and um, he's just getting angrier as he goes, and his band is like doing this, and pretty soon one guy finally goes, Play the song. Play the song. Because, you know, what he's thinking is if I play the song, then they're all going to leave afterward. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because that's, you're the only, that's the only song you're known for. Well, eventually he finally did. Plays this just really bad version of it. And you could tell he didn't even want to do it and everything. But it was the whole thing. Everybody was there. They wanted to hear him, but they had an expectation. He's going to play the song, right? We're going to go hear the guy who originally recorded it play the song. Unfortunately, the guy who originally recorded it was not interested in meeting everybody's expectations. He had a whole different agenda. So today, what we're going to look at is how Jesus is a lot like Tommy Two-Tone. 
except that he generally isn't drunk when we're talking to him. That's probably, that's one of the differences here. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John in chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 6 is a long chapter. It's a really long chapter. Uh, it's almost all comprised of a sermon uh, by Jesus where he is talking to a group of people who have showed up with an expectation and an expectation of him. So we're going to pick it up in verse 26 if you're following along in the Bible. Otherwise, through the miracle of modern technology and my son being very patient and you know, rolling his eyes and sighing, even though I sent him these this morning. <laughs> and I told him I would get them earlier, and I forgot. But I was busy. I was in bars all weekend. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Dad. So anyway, I just also, you know, I didn't know if you noticed, that's my son and my daughter-in-law up there. Pretty soon, you know, if they say anything weird you don't like, I can't take responsibility for the words of my adult children. But if they do something you really like, pretty much all the credit goes back here, you know. And Tiffany's mom right there. But that's pretty much the rule. That's how it works with us. Yeah, we take credit for all the good stuff. Go like this when the, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. Okay, so starting in verse 26 in the Gospel of John, Jesus is responding to some people up. See, what's happened is right before this, these people are following him because he did this whole miracle with the fishes and the loaves. You've heard that story? A few thousand people, at least, are gathered to listen to him. Nobody brought any food. Jesus looks at his followers and says, what are you guys going to do about that? Everybody's hungry. No, there's no food. They're looking at each other like, I don't know. I was supposed to bring food. So then, you know, when somebody finds the one kid whose type A mom thought to pack him a lunch uh, before he came, and suddenly there's this miracle that feeds a few thousand people from one kid's lunch. Amazing. So this starts setting off some alarms in people's minds because there was a tradition that was written in the Talmud, which is a group of writings about God's word. The Talmud isn't God's word, but it was writings about what they understood as God's word, which we know as the Old Testament. We call that the Old Testament. That was not its name, but we call it the Old Testament because we think of Old Testament, New Testament. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Okay. If you're not, just look at me with a really confused look on your face. For some of us, that's our normal countenance. <laughs> so just business as usual. So these people are now showing up. They're following Jesus. He's done this huge miracle. And they're thinking, hey, wait. Messiah figure, bread from God. Remember that whole story in the wilderness following Moses? And they have nothing to eat. And so what does God provide for them? Some of you who've been reading the Bible a long time. Yeah, every morning they got, they got breakfast delivered supernaturally. Uh, they called it manna, but it was this breadish like substance that they would just go out and rake up every morning, and that, was, that fed them. So the bread, the Messiah, all that imagery works together, all right? And it formed an expectation that had an explanation. I didn't mean to, an expectation with an explanation 
uh, in the Talmud in 2 Baruch. We're going to get to that in a little bit. All right. So, verse 26, Jesus says to them, I assure you, you're looking for me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, up to this point, chronologically, if you take all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mash them together, and then line them out chronologically. So you take all the events of the four Gospels, put them in chronological order, up to this point that we're at, that appears in John chapter 6, Jesus has performed, there is 19 reported, reported in the Gospels, of miraculous events. 19 eyewitnessed miraculous events. All right? So people have been following him. People have been hearing stuff. People they know. This guy saw him heal somebody. This guy, you know, I mean, it's just all this stuff. 19 times. And then Jesus says, you know, you're not following me because you're seeing God work. You're not following me because God is doing this miracle right next door to your house. You're following me because you saw me provide something. I fed everybody, and in a culture where poverty was high, that was a big deal. And we're also going to see that there was something else that he fulfilled, an expectation. Have you ever had somebody have an expectation of you? of which you were completely unaware. And suddenly you're talking to them, and they're clearly disappointed in you, and maybe a little irritated. And you're going, okay, <laughs> what did I do? Nothing. Okay, we are clearly married. All right. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, well, you know, I really thought, that okay here's a good example let's say this is my wife joy she's sitting right there when we were first married we're in our first apartment joy's all excited it was like some saturday morning or something like that she goes guess what i'm like i'm in trouble <laughs> the landlord said we can paint <laughs> now when i hear that i'm thinking she means we in the sort of communal shared identity sense you know i'm thinking oh we meaning her can paint great she's thinking we meaning us are gonna paint and it was like i was like you know hey uh i'm not really into painting stuff walls and now i said i you know i you know if you want to paint that's great go for it but i'm not and it was like this whole uh, you're, you don't paint, you're not, what? She didn't really know what to think. Now, she grew up with a dad who could basically go, hey, you know, we ought to have a couple more bedrooms on our house, and then next weekend, they'll just do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll add on to the house. We'll build a house. Well, it's just, you know, whatever, you know. So, and then she marries me, and I'm like, well, I play guitar. <laughs> Which wasn't generating a lot of income at the time. And, uh, so, you know, there, there, was, an, there was an expectation. Uh, and so that expectation was unrealized. When, uh, now, later on, as we bought houses and stuff like that, yeah, you just got to learn to do stuff because you can't afford not to. 
So it's not like I can't paint a wall, okay? Or put up a fence or install the toilet. I can't. But I don't. But then she'll go, don't you love that feeling of fulfillment after you do something like that? And I'm like, no, I don't get that. No, uh-uh. No, I like that it saved a couple of bucks, but no, you know. And then down the road, it was kind of like, you know what? I can go get a gig, pick up a few, pick up a few bucks, and then hire somebody to do that. That works for me, you know, if I need to go on the side and generate a do- dollar or two. All right, okay. Wow, I just spent a whole lot of time on that. Um, but the whole expectation thing is really important. We're going to come back to the whole, Tom, don't forget Tommy Two-Tone, okay? I want you to be thinking about him all week. He needs prayer. All right, so... Um, Jesus then says, look, don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that lasts for eternal life. Now, often you'll notice as Jesus speaks, and this was very normal in this culture, is they would sort of go in and out of metaphor and literalism. So he's talking about food that perishes, i.e. really real food, versus food nourishment, you know, that leads, that lasts for eternal life. So you got you to stay with that. They're thinking real food. Jesus is thinking spiritual, all right? They're thinking literal. He's thinking spiritual. But he knows if they, they understand that connection, they're just choosing to be, be preoccupied with the more immediate, literal, when Jesus is talking about the bigger picture, which is more spiritual, and so, and that's always kind of this, this problem that he keeps bub- bumping into with these people. So he just, that's, and that's heavy in this, this whole story. So he says, don't work for the food, verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. And that's a hard thing. He's saying, hey, don't just be thinking about making sure you feed yourself and your family tomorrow. It's not that that's unimportant, but there's a bigger picture even. And he says, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, Jesus talking about himself, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. All right, let's keep going. Verse 28. Then they ask an interesting question, which is one that I've heard people ask before. And they say, what can we do to perform the works of God? It's not a bad question. So they're saying, all right, so we want to do what God wants us to do. What do, we, what do we need to do? What do I need to do to be where God wants me? What do I need to do to get God's approval? What do I need to do to get God's blessing? And you remember last week when Rich was talking from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he's talking about how God does the work, and when we think we have to keep Bringing value to God, when we think we have to keep earning his approval, when we feel like we have to keep checking off boxes or God's going to be disappointed, then we're missing out completely. And so that's where this is kind of going. This is sort of biting into that, that same idea. So they say, what can we do to perform the works of God? Well, Jesus says, look, this is the work of God. This is what God's all about. What is God really trying to do? that you believe in the one whom he has sent. What's at the top of God's wish list? Is it that we would all, you know, start manifesting as good little examples of Christian behavior? 
and so that God can set up a museum and show us off to, I don't know, angels or whatever, or extraterrestrial, I don't know, whoever would be the audience, you know. No, is that what God really wants? No. What is God all about? What is God's end game? That we believe. That we believe. That Jesus came to be this bread of life, meaning that which nourishes, that which feeds our whole life. Not just our physical life, but our whole life, our spiritual, emotional, relational, everything, part of us. So verse 30, this is where it gets really interesting. Remember, how many times has this community of people seen Jesus do something miraculous up until this point? 19 times. 19 times. We've seen miracles. So, naturally, the question would follow, verse 30. Well, what sign are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to, to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, in a way, they're asking a question, but they're, what they're really doing is saying, are you going to answer this right? If you ever said somebody ask a question, you know, where it's kind of like, so you really like this, right? You know, it's kind of like, there's times when you think, you know, there is only one right answer to that question, <laughs> you know. And sometimes you know that answer, and sometimes you don't. So on the one hand, they sound like, well, is there some miracle you're going to do to show us that you're really the Messiah? Now, what's wrong with that idea? Nineteen times I have shown you. I have done a miracle to show you who I am. And then it's kind of like, okay, you know, there's been all those 19 times, but, you know, you got another one? <laughs> you got another one? Because, you know, that was up, I, we haven't done it, seen anything today. <laughs> or maybe this afternoon. Is that something new for us? What sign are you going to perform? And then they tip their hand here. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, then Jesus says, okay, he knows the story they're trying to tell. So Jesus says to them, well, look, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Okay, yeah, Moses talked about it, but... My Father gives you the real bread. Okay? Moses gave bread, sustenance, breakfast every morning, miracle in the wilderness. But my Father wants to give you the real bread, the true source of life from heaven. For the bread of God is what? Now he's connecting it for him. I'm going to give you the answer. The bread of God, that which I'm talking about, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who do you think Jesus is talking about? He's going like this. The bread of life is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> He's talking about himself. Well, then they say, well, sir, that's a, you know, it's translated that because they're using a form, this, of respect, And it's interesting because that's the word kurios in Greek, but it's also translated Lord. So it can get a little slippery sometimes. 
more like, you know, where they would say, well, Lord or sir, and it's kind of like, are you just calling me sir because you're being polite, or do you really mean it? You know, it's that kind of, kind of thing. It's like when somebody is having to address someone else, and they say, well, sir, you understand that I think you're totally out to lunch on You know what I mean? It's that you sort of be respectful, but you're being disrespectful. Does that make sense? You know, it's kind of dripping with that. Yeah. All right. So, sir, give us this bread always. Sure. You, you want to feed us every day? I'm down. Let's do it. Then Jesus goes, ugh. You know I, mean? I don't know how many times throughout the gospel stories you feel like Jesus is going, seriously. I mean, come on, people. Really. It's just like, you know, he just wants to walk up and go, McFly. You know, and he's just, what's wrong with you? And he goes, so, sir, well, give us this bread always. And he's like, I'm the bread of life. <laughs> what else? I'm trying to talk to you like adults. You don't get it. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And so they're going, well, you need to never be hungry. You never, we never have to eat. He's like, Seriously, people, come on. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. Now we're seeing a very interesting wrinkle and nuance in this. Again, 19 times they've seen a mirac miracle. Okay, I know we're only into chapter 6 in John, but the majority of the Gospel of John happens on the back nine of Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay, so it's, most of this has taken place later on. That's why all this has happened and we're only in chapter six in Gospel of John. But what he's saying is, look, as I told you, you've seen me, you've seen the miracles, but you don't believe. I've had conversations with people where they said, you know, I feel like if we could actually see something, if I could if I would have seen Jesus, if I could see a miracle, then I think I would believe. I remember telling somebody, I said, nah, I don't think you would. No, no, I, I really would. I said, nah, probably not. I mean, I've seen miraculous events before. I've had spiritual experiences. I have sat with people and witnessed God's Spirit opening their eyes to truth and seeing it radically transform them from the inside out. People who were traumatized, waking up every morning in fear. I remember talking to a woman who said she often wakes up curled up in a fetal position in her closet because that's where she, how she used to hide from her brother. And she doesn't even remember going there during the night. And seeing how God's spirit came in and healed that and freed her from fear of that pain. I've seen other people who have experienced maybe a miraculous healing. Doesn't mean everybody does. Doesn't mean God has to do it for everybody else in order to prove himself. I mean, I've seen that stuff. But does that make me believe? And I've met people say, well, if I could just see it, I would believe. Well, I don't think so, because historically... Look at this group. <laughs> they saw it multiple times, lots of times. And Jesus even said, look, you've seen it, but you don't believe. 
They believed that Jesus was a real guy. They believed that he was from God. They believed that he had some miraculous power. There was something about him. But they, what is it that they didn't believe? They didn't believe in that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe that Jesus was there to do what he was there to do. They weren't willing to set aside all their expectations of him and of God and say, all right, why don't we actually see what God wants to do? Who does Jesus say he is? Instead of, is he fulfilling my expectation of him? You've seen me, but you don't believe. And that is kind of heavy. Because when we talk about just believing in God, does it mean we believe that Jesus existed? That he was the son of God? That he performed miracles? Okay. So far, we're right where this group of people are. They believed he was real. They believed he had some kind of power from God. They believed he could do miracles. Where they were getting stuck is that they wanted Jesus to do the miracle. Play the song. <laughs> That's what they were saying. Play the song. Play that one song. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. He was in Second Baruch, where it says the Messiah, when he comes. Remember, this is Talmud. Writings about God's word, not God's word. Writings about God's word. Where it said the Messiah, when he comes, will recreate the manna miracle. Oh, okay, so that's what we're going to wait for. That's what we're going to depend on. Yeah, little asterisk. That's not God's word. That's not God's promise. That's your tradition. That's your expectation. And you know, sometimes we get our expectations of God mixed up. It's interesting sometimes when we, if you listen to yourself pray. You know, I remember one time I was thought about this and I was thinking about what I had just prayed. And I basically was praying for somebody because, you know, I'm a Christian, supposed to do that. So I'm praying for people, and, and I started telling God really how he needs to do this. You know, this kind of situation, God, and I think, you know, really what he needs is he just needs to experience this. And I've got, so what I really need, you know, it's almost kind of like I'm laying out this plan for an employee. So God, here's the deal. I've already typed it all up for you, and maybe here's some talking points you know, that you could utilize. And we just went praying. We start telling God, start rattling off instructions. Oh, God, just, and we say it in really kind of spiritual sounding words. God, really just convict his heart and make him feel horrible about himself. You know, the fact that I'm really angry at him doesn't factor into this prayer at all. <laughs> you ever think that God's kind of going, I know how to do this. What it is, you know, just whole working in someone's life. I'm not new. You know, it's not my first time on the playground, son. I don't need you telling me how to work in this guy's life. That sounds like I need to do some work on you because you're the one that's got a problem with him. You think he's got a problem with me. I think the problem is between you and him. Maybe go work that out. <laughs> but see, we've got this expectation. We know how God needs to work. We know how God needs to work in that life of that person so that they would treat us the way we want them to treat us. We've got an expectation of them. We've got an expectation of God. We need this whole thing to come together so things will go the way I want them to go. Is this sounding familiar? 
at all? Nobody can relate to this at all? No, because all I do is sit around and wait for God to do whatever he wants to do. No, you don't. None of us do. We'd like to think we do, but most of the time we're not. You know, we want God to do something the way we want it to do it, want him to do it. And it's hard to put that aside. It's hard to put aside saying, okay, you know, sometimes we just automatically think if, if I am in stress, then somebody needs to pray that that stress would be relieved. Well, what if God is saying, no, we need to keep that stress on him? Because that stress needs to be put on to break something in him. Maybe I need to experience some stress because the way I handle stress isn't good. Or maybe I've created a situation that's stressing me out and I need to go back and fix that. And if God just takes the stress away, well, then it's not going to feel like maybe there's something broken that I need to work on. Now, I'm just giving you a couple random examples. And sometimes we just have God, you know, there was this blessing that, you know, you're supposed to fulfill, and I don't get it. You're not fulfilling this blessing. You know, Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, given us, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Well, I try to not pay attention to the spiritual part, but every blessing, right? God wants me to have every blessing. So I, I really need the blessing of, uh, you know, a new car. And you can imagine God going, oh, I hate it when he does that. You know, it's just, we create an expectation. One time a woman came into my office. She's sitting across from me, and she said, you know, <sighs> the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The desire of my heart has always been that my children would accept Jesus. They're adults now, and they're not at all. And she was really brokenhearted. Part of it was a misunderstanding of that text in Psalms 37. That it's not saying that God will fulfill every random desire of our hearts, but that he will give us desires, new heart desires. Big difference. I'm not just going to give you everything you want. Maybe I'm going to give you different wants. And the idea that she said, I've done my best to delight myself in the Lord, and he hasn't fulfilled the greatest desire of my heart. She was interpreting it as God was offering a deal. And so she formed an expectation. And now she was experiencing grief and significant heartbreak because of an expectation. And it was hard to sit, you know, like to really listen and be compassionate to be able to say, all right, we need to now go back and work on where that expectation came from. And it was tough because then she was even more disappointed than she was when she came in. But God is not here to put on an expectation that we have formed for him. He has something better. We can't imagine that God could have a better idea and a better plan for our eternity than that which I can come up with in my little mind. How in the world can I convince myself of that? I don't know, but I do. <laughs> that I really have a better idea about how things ought to go in my life, in this life, and in eternity, 
kind of have this figured out, God. I'd really like to just lay it out and have you play along. Can we just do that? And God goes, no, I don't do that. It's not how I do things. Bummer for you, but I'm not going to change. I'm not going to start doing everything differently just because, you know, a plan. You didn't run it by me. So, Jesus goes on, verse 37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Think of these words. Everyone the Father gives to me shall come to me. So everyone who comes to me, anyone, everyone, every single person who comes to Jesus, I will never cast out. That never is, in Greek, it's a, it's a double negative. In English, you use a double negative to create a positive. I will not, not buy you a present today. So what that means is I'll buy you a present today. Well, in Greek, in their language, if you do a double negative, it builds it. It doubles it. It's like when you say not, not, it's like you're circling it, underlining it, highlighting it, whatever it is. I will never, ever, by no means do this. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never, ever, by any means, cast out, reject, discard, ever anyone goes on verse 38 for I've come down from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me you want to know what God's will is for your life okay maybe not <laughs> but if it occurs to you to wonder what God's will for your life is here it is this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me. Now, who has the Father given him? Anyone who comes to him. Anyone. Anyone. That I should lose, this is God's will, that I lose none of those he has given me, but they, he should raise them up on the last day. You come to Jesus, that's God's will, that you came to Jesus. And if you come to Jesus, you will never, ever be cast out. You will not be lost. What is God's will for you today? That you know for sure that if you have said yes to God's forgiveness, you've said yes to the opportunity, the offer of a relationship with God through Jesus, that you have said yes to his offer of saying, if you die today, you could be in heaven forever with him. You come to Jesus, you say yes, you're in. It is God's will. It's not up to me. It's not up to my performance not a set against any kind of number of mistakes, failures, stumblings, whatever. It is God's will that no one who comes to him would be lost. Ever. Ever. And you can even say, no, I want to be lost, God. I want you to reject me. He's like, well, sorry, I'm not going to do it. Not my will. Bummer for you that you have to go to heaven. Sorry about that one, but... You're going. <laughs> and just think about that promise. This 
is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes, and that phrase essentially means to see, understand, believe, embrace, and they have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's not up to us. We say yes. God says, I do all the work. I make the promise. I bring the guarantee. But what does God say? Shut down your expectations. All those expectations you have of God, that he's going to do it like this, he's going to do this for me, he's going to do it for that, he's going to do this for that person, he's going to shape things this way, he's going to make events go this way. Maybe some of those are right, but who knows? You don't know, but it doesn't matter. What matters is at what point do you say, all right, God, instead of asking you to come in and bless my plans, I'm going to get out of the way and let you work. Some of you are involved in construction. I've talked to a number of contractors. I have a brother-in-law who builds custom houses. I asked him one time, I said, hey, you ever get an offer to remodel someone's house and kind of basically take a piece of trash and somehow make something good? He goes, yeah, I don't do that. He goes, I would rather start at zero and build a house right and do it right than try to make someone else's, you know, worthless piece of whatever into something good. He goes, that, yeah, no one wants to do that. And essentially, it's like, all right, do we create this expectation, try to build a house halfway and do it wrong, and then say, okay, God, come in and bless this. And God's going, huh. No, thanks. <laughs> Why don't you just take that old thing, scrape it, put it over there, and let me do it right. Let me just, let's blank slate, let's put this whole thing together the way it's supposed to. Your life, your expectations, the blessings God wants for you, what he wants you to experience here and now and in the life to come. God has things in, in mind and in plan for us that just so far exceed what we could expect and imagine. And what God just says is, put that aside. You've seen the power. You believe I'm who I say I am. Let me do my thing. Get out of the way. Let him be the bread of life. Let him say what his will is. And let him carry it out and I really believe the story that is told when we do that so far exceeds the, the self-centered, short-sighted expectations that we put up that get in the way of our ability to see this bigger picture, that our life is not just about getting the stuff I want for the next few months or year that it's about having an experience with God that not only radically transforms my life, but then goes out and affects the lives of other people. And that in eternity, I can see God working in my life and all of that just radiating out into the lives of others and making a difference that I never could have even imagined or expected. And I think that's what God wants for each one of us. Let me pray for us. And just out of respect for others, 
whether you're a type of person who prays or not, if we could just sort of not be looking around. And I talked about becoming a child of God, saying yes to God. Jesus died on the cross to fulfill a payment or a fulfillment for sin that we could never do on our own. And then he offers us, he offers that to us to cover our sin because we can't cover our own sin. And so I talk about saying yes to God. So God offers forgiveness. God offers this complete, total, unconditional love, eternal forgiveness. If we would just say yes to that offer that made available through Jesus dying on the cross. And then if we've said yes to, once we say yes to that, he offers this confirmation, this promise, this follow-up that just says, hey, once you have said yes, it is my will and it's my job to promise and guarantee that you will never be lost, ever. And so if you've never said yes to all that, you can just say yes right now, just between you and God. I'm not going to ask somebody to stand up or give a testimony or anything like that. This is right now. Just you. But saying yes, letting God come into your life. The Bible says, as many as receive him, he gives them the right to be children of God. Who are born not through people's will, through people's actions, but they're born of God. And if you've said yes to that, then you are secured. You're set. You will never be lost. You will never be forgotten. You will never be cast out. And then he says, let go of the expectations. Set them aside. Let me be who I am, and let me show you who you were created to be. And so, God, we say yes to you. We say yes to your love. We say yes to your forgiveness. We say yes to the offer and promise of eternal life. We say thank you for your word that tells us who we are and tells us who you are. In Jesus' name.